Letter 7 of Clarissa Harlow, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Clarissa Harlow, Volume 3 by Samuel Richardson. Chapter 7. Mr. Lovelace to John Belford, Esquire, Tuesday, Wednesday, April 11th, 12th. You claim my promise that I will be as particular as possible in all that passes between me and my goddess. Indeed, I never had a more illustrious subject to exercise my pen, and moreover I have leisure, for by her good will my access would be as difficult to her as that of the humblest slave to an eastern monarch. Nothing then but inclination to write can be wanting, and since our friendship and your obliging attendance upon me at the White Heart will not excuse that, I will endeavor to keep my word. I parted with thee and thy brethren with a full resolution, thou knowest, to rejoin ye, if she once again disappointed me, in order to go together, attended by our servants for show's sake, to the gloomy father, and demand an audience of the tyrant upon the freedoms taken with my character. In short, to have tried by fair resolutions, and treat his charming daughter with less inhumanity, and me with more civility. I told thee my reasons for not going in search of a letter of countermand. I was right, for if I had, I should have found such a one, and had I received it, she would not have met me. Did she think that after I had been more than once disappointed, I would not keep her to her promise, that I would not hold her to it when I had got her in so deeply? The moment I heard the door unbolt, I was sure of her. That motion made my heart bound to my throat. But when that was followed with the presence of my charmer, flashing upon me all at once in a flood of brightness, sweetly dressed, though all unprepared for a journey, I trod air and hardly thought myself a mortal. Thou shalt judge of her dress, as at the moment I first beheld her, she appeared to me, and as upon a nearer observation she really was. I am a critic, thou knowest, in women's dresses. Many a one have I taught to dress, and helped to undress, but there is such a native elegance in this lady that she surpasses all that I could imagine surpassing. But then her person adorns what she wears more than dress can adorn her, and that's her excellence. Expect, therefore, a faint sketch of her admirable person with her dress. Her wax-like flesh, for after all, flesh and blood I think she is, by its delicacy and firmness answers for the soundness of her health. Thou hast often heard me launch out in praise of her complexion. I never in my life beheld a skin so illustriously fair. The lily and the driven snow it is nonsense to talk of. Her lawn and her laces one might indeed compare to those. But what a whited wall would a woman appear to be, who had a complexion which would justify such unnatural comparisons. But this lady is all glowing, all charming flesh and blood. Yet 
so clear that every meandering vein is to be seen in all the lovely parts of which custom permits to be visible thou hast heard me also describe the wavy ringlets of her shining hair needing neither art nor powder of itself an ornament defying all other ornaments wantoning in and about a neck that is beautiful beyond description her headdress was a brussels lace mob peculiarly adapted to her charming air and turn of her features a sky-blue ribboned illustrated that but although the weather was somewhat sharp she had not either hat or hood for besides that she loves to use herself heartily by which means and by a temperance truly exemplary she is allowed to have given high health and vigour to an originally tender constitution she seems to have intended to show me that she was determined not to stand on her appointment oh jack that such a sweet girl should be a rogue her morning gown was a pale primrose-coloured padwasoy the cuffs and robins curiously embroidered by the fingers of this ever-charming arachne in a running pattern of violets and their leaves the light in the flowers silver gold in the leaves a pair of diamond snaps in her ears a white handkerchief wrought by the same inimitable fingers concealed o oh bedford what still more inimitable beauties did it conceal and i saw all the way we rode the bounding heart by its throbbing motions i saw it dancing beneath her charming umbrage her ruffles were the same as her mob her apron a flowered lawn her coat white satin quilted blue satin her shoes braided with the same colour without lace for what need has the prettiest foot in the world of ornament neat buckles in them and on her charming arms a pair of black velvet glove-like muffs of her own invention for she makes and gives fashions as she pleases her hands velvet of themselves thus uncovered the freer to be grasped by those of her adorer i have told thee what were my transports when the undrawn bolt presented to me my long-expected goddess her emotions were more sweetly feminine after the first moments for then the fire of her starry eyes began to sink into a less dazzling languor she trembled nor knew she how to support the agitations of a heart she had never found so ungovernable she was even fainting when i clasped her in my supporting arms what a precious moment that how near how sweetly near the throbbing partners by her dress i saw as i observed before how unprepared she was for a journey and not doubting her intention once more to disappoint me i would have drawn her after me then began a contention the most vehement that ever i had with woman i would pain thy friendly heart to be told the infinite trouble i had with her i begged i prayed on my knees yet in vain i begged and prayed her to answer her own appointment and had i not happily provided for such a struggle knowing whom i had to deal with i had certainly failed in my design and as certainly would have accompanied her in without thee and thy brethren and who knows what might have been the consequence 
but my honest agent answering my signal though not quite so soon as i expected in the manner thou knowest i had prescribed they are coming they are coming fly fly my beloved creature cried i drawing my sword with a flourish as if i would have slain half an hundred of the supposed intruders and seizing her trembling hand i drew her after me so swiftly that my feet winged by love could hardly keep pace with her feet agitated by fear and so i became her emperor i'll tell thee all when i see thee and thou shalt then judge of my difficulties and of her perverseness and thou wilt rejoice with me at my conquest over such a watchful and open-eyed charmer but seest thou not now as i think i do the wind outstripping fair one flying from her love to her love is there not such a game nay flying from her friend she was resolved not to abandon to the man she was determined not to go off with the sex the sex all over charming contradiction <laughs> i must hear i must hear lay down my pen to hold my sides for i must have my laugh out now for fit is upon me i believe i believe <laughs> i believe jack my dogs conclude me mad for here has one of them popped in as if to see what ailed me or whom i had with me <laughs> an impudent dog oh jack knewest thou my conceit and were but thy laugh joined to mine i believe it would hold me for an hour longer but o oh, my best beloved fair one repine not thou at the arts by which thou suspectest thy fruitless vigilance has been ever overwatched take care that thou provokest not new ones that they may be still more worthy of thee if once thy emperor decrees thy fall thou shalt greatly fall thou shalt have cause if that come to pass which may come to pass for why wouldst thou put off marriage to so long a day as till thou hadst reason to be convinced of my reformation dearest thou shalt have cause never fear to sit down more dissatisfied with the stars than with thyself and come the worst to the worst glorious terms will i give thee thy garrison with general prudence at the head the governor watchfulness bringing up the rear shall be allowed to march out with all the honours due to so brave a resistance and all thy sex all mine that hear my stratagems and of thy conduct shall acknowledge the fortress as nobly won as defended thou wilt not dare methinks i hear thee say to attempt to reduce such a goddess as this to a standard unworthy of her excellencies it is impossible loveless that thou shouldst intent to break through oaths and protestations so solemn that i did not intend it is certain that i do intend it i cannot my heart my reverence for her will not let me say but knowest thou not my aversion to the state of shackles and is she not in my power and wilt thou loveless abuse that power which which what bedford which i obtained not by her own consent but against it but which thou never hadst obtained had she not esteemed thee above all men 
and which I had never taken so much pains to obtain, had I not loved her above all women. So far upon a par, Jack, and if thou pleadest honour, ought not honour to be mutual? If mutual, does it not imply mutual trust, mutual confidence? And what have I had of that from her to boast of? Thou knowest the whole progress of our warfare, for a warfare it has truly been, and far, very far from an amorous warfare too. Doubts, mistrusts, upbraidings on her part, humiliations the most abject on mine. Obliged to assume such airs of reformation that every varlet of ye has been afraid, I should reclaim in good earnest. And hast thou not thyself frequently observed to me how awkwardly I returned to my usual gaiety, after I had been within a mile of her father's garden wall, although I had not seen her? Does she not deserve to pay for all this? To make an honest fellow look like an hypocrite? What a vile thing is that! Then thou knowest what a false little rogue she has been, how little conscience she has made of disappointing me. Hast thou not been a witness of my ravings on this score? Have I not, in the height of them, vowed revenge upon the faithless charmer? And if I must be forsworn, whether I answer her expectations, or follow my own inclinations, and if the option be in my own power, can I hesitate a moment which to choose? Then I fancy by her circumspection and her continual grief that she expects some mischief from me. I don't care to disappoint anybody I have a value for. But, oh, the noble, the exalted creature! Who can avoid hesitating when he thinks of an offence against her? Who can but pity, yet on the other hand, so loath to last to venture, though threatened to be forced into the nuptial fetters with a man whom to look upon as a rival is to disgrace myself, so sullen now she has ventured? What title has she to pity, and to a pity which her pride would make her disclaim? But I resolve not anyway. I will see how her will works and how my will leads me on. I will give the combatants fair play. And yet every time I attend her, I find that she is less in my power, I more in hers. Yet what a foolish little rogue to forbid me to think of marriage till I am a reformed man, till the implacables of her family change their natures and become placable. It is true, when she was for making those conditions, she did not think that, without any, she should be cheated out of herself. For so the dear soul, as I may tell thee, in its place, phrases it. How it swells my pride to have been able to outwit such a vigilant charmer! I am taller by half a yard in my imagination than I was. I look down upon everybody now. Last night I was still more extravagant. I took off my hat as I walked, to see if the lace were not scorched, supposing it had brushed down a star. And before I put it on again in mere wantonness and heart's ease, I was for buffeting the moon. <laughs> in short, my whole soul is joy. When I go to bed, I laugh myself to sleep. 
and I awake either laughing or singing, yet nothing nearly in view, neither. For why? I am not yet reformed enough. I told thee at the time, if thou rememberest, how capable this restriction was of being turned upon the over-scrupulous dear creature, could I once get her out of her father's house, and were I disposed to punish her for her family's faults, and for the infinite trouble she herself had given me. Little thinks she that I have kept an account of both, and that when my heart is soft and all her own, I can but turn to my memoranda and harden myself once again. Oh, my charmer, look to it. Abate of thy haughty airs. Value not thyself upon thy sincerity if thou art indifferent to me. I will not bear it now. Art thou not in my power? Nor, if thou lovest me, think that the female affection of denying thy love will avail thee now, with a heart so proud and jealous as mine. Remember, moreover, that all thy family sins are upon thy head. But, ah, Jack, when I see my angel, when I am admitted to the presence of this radiant beauty, what will become of all this vaporing? But be my end what it may, I am obliged by thy penetration, fair one, to proceed by the sap, fair and softly, a wife at any time, marriage will be always in my power. When put out, when put to the university, the same course of initial studies will call a... Hmm. When put to the university, the same course... When put to the university, the same course of initial studies will qualify the yonker for the one line or the other. The genius ought to point out the future lawyer, divine, or physician. So the same cautious conduct, with such a vigilance, will do either for ma will do either for the wife or for the no wife. When I reform, I'll marry. Tis time enough for the one the lady must say, for the other say I. But how I ramble! This is to be in such a situation that I know not what to resolve upon. I'll tell thee my inclinings as I proceed. The pros and the cons I'll tell thee. But being got too far from the track I set out in, I will close here. I may, however, write every day something and send it as opportunity offers regardless nevertheless i shall be in all i write of connection accuracy or of anything but my own imperial will and pleasure end of letter seven